Well, good morning, everyone. I am one of those wise uh, pastors here at Westgate. Um, and I'm excited to be able to be here this morning and share with you from a passage in Matthew that we're going to get to. But before we do that, I want to take you back to a month ago today. A month ago today, I had the honor of officiating my second wedding. And as you see that picture, some of you may recognize the bride. Her name is Krizia. She was our special needs director here for a few years. And I've had the opportunity to get to know both she and Brian over a pretty lengthy period of time and um, was just honored. Uh, Mark and I were did their premarital counseling and um, then we went and they got married. Before they got married though, a couple weeks before, I invited them to send me each an email. I said, this is your assignment, where I want you to write down just a paragraph of what you love about the other person. And so they each did that, and I told them I, I was going to share that at the wedding um, so they would hear that from each other, but also that everybody there could hear it as well. Because oftentimes, right, when we go to a wedding, it's often what we remember is the how about the wedding, like where the location was and how the ceremony went and the dinner afterwards, and maybe there's dancing. And we forget about, like, well, why were we here in the first place? And so I wanted it to be special um, for them in that way. So I read it to each other and they, um, you could just tell they were just like engaged as they were listening about what the other person loved about them and why they wanted um, to marry that person. And I wanted to remind them of that because as those of you that are married know, um, once the wedding's over and the honeymoon's over and stuff, you realize that, wow, this, this is, takes work, right? It, it, this is a commitment. Can I have an amen? I feel like I should say that. Like, that's not even me, but I feel like we need to say that. Okay, there we go. Thank you, Martin. I appreciate that. Um, you know, that life is no longer about me, but it's about us, right? And then our priorities change how we see life changes. And so we talked about at the wedding how this was now a covenant relationship, right? And there's a covenant relationship and there's a contract relationship. And a contract relationship is about legalism and leverage, whereas a covenant relationship is about love and about loyalty. And a contract in a marriage is, is kind of like, well, as long as we both shall feel like it, you know? Where a covenant is as long as we both shall live. And a contract calls for the signing of names, where a contract calls for the binding of hearts. Now stay with me on this, because what I'm going to share with you is going to apply to our, our, what we're going to talk about today in Matthew. Because then I paused, and I wanted them to imagine what would it be like to be standing in the same place 50 years from now, right? Renewing our wedding vows. They would be renewing them. And after they renewed them, there'd be a dinner and their friends and family that were still alive, I would not be there, um, would be talking about all the ways that this couple showed and exemplified faithfulness and a commitment and making each other first priority in their life. And then I said, you know, I want to po poise this question, like, how are you going to make this dream a reality? Like, how are you going to take from when I say I do from this kiss, right? Like your, your husband and wife now, there's that. And then 50 years from now. So how are we going to get there? Well, today in the passage in Matthew, um, Jesus is going to talk about priorities and what it means 
for us to have a covenant relationship with him and to put him above all others. And just like in a marriage, it's not always going to be easy, right? There's distractions that take our focus away. And there um, are daily things and sometimes hourly ways with which we have to realign our hearts and our minds to the one and to the love that we've committed to. And so before we get into the text, I just want to take a moment to pray um, and invite God into our time together and ask him to show each of us what he has for us in this passage as we think about the covenant relationship we have with him. Heavenly Father, um, I do just want to pause and give you the opportunity to do the work that only you can do in our lives. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and active. And I pray for each of us this morning, God, that you would have one or two things just surface to the top. And God, may you meet us there and show us your goodness, your love, your steadfastness, and your commitment to us, God. We love you. Thanks for being our father. It's an honor to be your children. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we are going to jump in. First of all, this passage is rather lengthy. So I want you to sit back. All right. Just sit back and read along as I read um, up on the screen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And here's what it says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of life. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But here's the key, you guys. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, 
There's a lot in there, right? I think I could actually spend a number of weeks unpacking different sections of this passage. But since I only have about a half an hour, I want to zone in on a couple of specific themes that I believe will encapsulate the whole of this passage. So the first thing that I can't help my eye being drawn to as I look at this is the idea that no one can serve two masters. And it kind of begs the question, like, who is your master? Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you will love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right, I want to pause for just a minute because in our modern day and age, when we think of master and slave, those analogies, it can play with us, right? It just feels wrong. But in the context of when this was written, when Jesus was on earth, master and slave was very common. And there were good masters that cared for their slaves, almost treated them as family. And then there were bad masters who just used their slaves and used them for what they could get and often abused their slaves. So I want to um, define what the word serve means because to serve in the Greek actually means slave, to be a slave. And it means to belong wholly and be entirely under command to. So to belong wholly and to be entirely under command to. So there's this single ownership of full-time service. That's what the essence of serving as a slave is. And the word money here, or mammon, as it's used in Hebrew and Aramaic, means wealth or property, indicating something with which we put our confidence. And in this passage, Jesus sets God and money as competing objects in our confidence. Think about it. God or money. We can't serve two masters. It's a single focus. So God or money. Now, what I want you to know, it's really important to know that Jesus isn't condemning wealth. Money is a great tool and can be used to further the kingdom and to bless others. And many of you, I've been a recipient of your financial giving. Um, many of you are generous beyond words. Just happened last weekend with your time, with your finances, with beautiful day, so many things. So don't hear what we're not saying here. Wealth is not the problem. Jesus is condemning money because it becomes an idol in our heart. You see, there's nothing wrong with having things. It's when those things have us. That's where it's different. And whether we want to admit it or not, at any moment in our lives, we could stop and ask the question. You could do this right now. Ask yourself the question, who do I belong wholly to? God or fill in the blank? Because you can't belong wholly to God if money or other things are taking that first place in your life. The choice between two masters is shown by the choices between two treasures and the choices between two visions that are talked about a little bit earlier in the passage. You see where your treasure is? That's the thing that you value the most highly. 
inevitably it will occupy the center of your heart. Whatever you treasure most is going to occupy the center of your heart. I love this quote by Martin Luther. He says, what a man loves, that is his God. For he carries it in his heart and he goes about with it day and night. He sleeps and wakes with it, be it whatever it may be, wealth or self, pleasure or renown. I don't like to admit it, but it's really actually true. Like I see that in my own life. You see, earthly treasures are temporal and can be taken away from us. In the verses, it says we're moth and vermin. And another word for vermin is like rust, where those things destroy and where thieves come and steal. I was reminded of that in two simple ways just in the last month. A couple weeks ago, I started to get cool on, I think, one day. (laughs) And I thought, oh, yay, fall is here. And I went into my closet to find a sweater. And I pulled out a sweater that I'd had in a different room where I keep things that I just don't wear very often. And when I put it on, there was a hole in the bottom of it. And doggone it, but if a moth that I never saw got in there and did its thing in my sweater, I was really, really disappointed because I liked that sweater. But look, that moth just took its life away from me. And then um, we were down in San Diego, actually, for Krizia and Brian's wedding. And um, we stayed at this place called Mission Bay, and it's between a bay on one side and the ocean on the other. And Mark and I would walk every day, and one day we took a walk along the ocean, and there's all these beautiful, beautiful multi-million dollar homes with fantastic views. And then every once in a while, you would see a home that had completely rusted and was disintegrating, I think, because it's by the ocean and all the salt water hadn't been taken care of. It was just a reminder What is beautiful one day, the next day just can look and be rested and and ruined. And so this passage talks about being a slave to earthly treasures. Um, But there are other treasures, you guys, as well. Um, I think about ambition. I think about pleasure. I think about wanting to have a spouse or who your spouse is. Think about children. You have little children or grown children. Think about positions, our status. Students, what are your grades? What's your athletic ability? How many social media followers do you have? All these things. If God is not first and foremost, they become our master. And God doesn't want that for us because when that becomes our master, So many other things come into play, and we're going to talk about those. But what he does say, he says, store up treasures in heaven to pursue kingdom values. To lay up treasures in heaven means all that we have is for the glory of God, not for the glory of us. It means measuring life by what is a true riches, what those are, his kingdom, not the false riches of this world. It requires a single focus too, as we just, as is described in Matthew 6, 22, it talked about a healthy eye. God gives us spiritual eyes to see the world as he does, if we choose to look at it that way. But our eyes can become diseased, they can be darkened, we can't see correctly when we start covenanting and running after and storing up and something else becomes our God our focus. 
Proverbs 4, 25 through 27 says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. How is your eye this morning? Is it single focused or does it have double vision? I often find I have double vision and I don't even realize it. So we need to redirect our lives and our vision as apprentices to Jesus because our perspective, how we see things shape our pursuit and our pursuit eventually becomes our master. And your master will always determine the health of your soul. I want to say that one more time. Our perspective shapes our pursuit and our pursuit eventually becomes our master. And your master will always determine the health of your soul. It's something you can feel, right? You know when it's off. You feel it. You feel that fear, that panic, that out of control feeling. So I just want to take a moment and recognize that this is hard. And it's kind of heavy, isn't it? I mean, as I'm reading it to y'all, it's like, I can barely breathe thinking about all the things, right, that could pile on or the ways that God isn't always my number one priority, isn't my focus the way that it, he needs to be. And if we're really honest, guys, I think even when we get to that point that we can put God first, the enemy loves to come swooping in and challenge our faith with the little things called worry. Another definition of worry is anxiety. And worry and anxiety, you guys, aren't the issue, but they're symptoms of serving the wrong master. Worry and anxiety are symptoms of serving the wrong master. Anybody here Feel worried, feel anxious, ever, today, right now, besides me. All right, well, I, I think it's kind of what we do. It, it's like very common for all of us. So I want to share with you something really practical that was helpful to me. Um, about two or three weeks ago, we had an all-staff meeting, and Jay um, shared kind of the difference between stress and anxiety. So with stress, it's usually based on reality. It's something that you can point to. It's concrete, usually requires something of you, and usually means an increased load. Whereas anxiety is based in the future. It's usually pretty vague, always bad, doesn't want you to examine it. It's based almost entirely on false assumptions, and it's a reactive impulse and puts you in this kind of frantic state. So... When we feel this sense of anxiety, that's not stress. Because stress, stress is actually good for us. Healthy stress, right? It motivates us to get things done. It helps us to move forward in things. But when it moves to anxiety, that's when it's not good. And I believe that the enemy loves to let us kind of percolate on. There are many lies, but these three lies in particular. Number one, I don't have what I need. Number two, I am all alone in this. And number three, all hope is lost. So if I can be real, which I like to be, <laughs> I dealt with this up until this morning. And actually until I walked on the stage this morning. 
because as I was teaching, when Jay asked me months ago, hey, Lisa, will you teach on the subject? I prayed about it. I sensed God said, yes, this is your assignment. You go, girl. Love, 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 love studying. And then I equate this to having a baby. So you moms know this, right? It's a birthing process. Like, oh, I'm pregnant. This is awesome. You know, and you dream and all this. And then, oh, my gosh, I'm feeling labor pains. And you actually have to, like, push that baby out. And it's really painful. And that's like getting my sermon on paper for me is extremely painful. And the enemy loves to get in and, oh, Lisa, you're just going to blow it when you're up there. You're not going to have anything to say. You're going to totally forget what you need to say. I mean, all of these things. And the biggest thing for me this time around was you're not going to have time, Lisa. Nope, you're not going to have time. Because my job as campus pastor here is new for me. We've got lots of things going on, just busy, busy season. And so I'm like trying to fit in prep teaching and the, the clock is ticking. You ever feel that kind of pressure? And I was living in this um, kind of mindset of scarcity, scarcity of time versus abundance. Like, I've got you, Lisa. Remember I gave you this assignment? I got you. So I had to constantly remind myself, if I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling scarcity, and that is not from God. So God, you promise to give us life and a full life to an abundant life, then I'm going to trust you. You're going to give me in the time that I have, you know my schedule, you're going to give me the time that I need to hear from you and to know what to, to bring today. And I felt often I didn't have what I needed. I was all alone. Like, where are you, God? Bring the stuff quicker, you know? And all hope is lost. Like, I just as soon step out and get hit by a bus. And, oh, Lisa can't be here this morning. She's in the hospital. I would recover, of course. But, you know, those thoughts go through my mind. So I don't know about you guys, but I just want to pause for a moment because I have a feeling I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that has anxious feelings. I'm not the only one that has worries. I'm not the only one that thinks I don't have what I need. I'm all alone in this. And all hope is lost. So we're going to take a minute or two. I want to show you this word cloud that we sent out uh, a thing on social media this week. Like, what are you worried about? And many of you wrote in, and these are some things that some of you said. This is just a very small list. But I want to leave it up because I want you to think about what is it for you that you're anxious and worried about? And I, we're going to have the lights come down just a little bit so that you can kind of feel like you're kind of by yourself, but not really <laughs> with all 100 people around you. But ask God to bring to mind what is that for you. And I just want you to sit with it, okay? So what is that for you? Where am I worried? Where am I feeling anxious? And just sit with that for just a minute.
point as that has come maybe to your mind and you're kind of thinking along that line, I've got great news for you. I've got great news for me. Because Jesus, after he says you can't serve two masters, and remember when we're not serving God, we're serving something else that is causing us anxiety. It's causing us fear. It's putting our trust in something else. And so he goes on to say in verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. And then he goes on to explain why. And I'm going to read to you, and we already read this, but I want you to see pictures of examples of how he takes care of those he loves. All right? So just look at the pictures as I read this. It says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need. See, your heavenly Father knows. And what does he know? He knows that they need food, so he feeds them. They don't sow, reap, or store away. This doesn't mean, you guys, that we disregard work any more than a bird doesn't fly around scavenging, looking for food. What it means is we disregard worry. They don't have to worry. You know why they don't have to worry? Because God sees them and God cares for them. God sees us and he cares for us. And then he clothes them. The flowers and grass of the field, they don't toil, they don't labor, they don't worry. No, God dresses them more beautifully than the wealthiest king of Israel could adorn himself. God sees them, he knows them, and he cares for them. And he knows what they need. If he does this for the birds, the flowers, and the grass, will he not Do it much more for us, scripture says. Absolutely. God sees us. He knows us. He cares for us. And God will provide for us. This little cluster of analogies contradict. And I love this. They counteract those lies that we talked about earlier. I don't have something I need. He sees and he knows what you need. I'm all alone in this. No, He cares for you, and you are much more valuable than even the birds or the flowers or the grasses. All hope is lost. No. God actually will provide for your needs. He promises that. 
So how do we get out of this state of worry and anxiety? And the answer is key in the verses that we read in verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Do you notice the word seek is actually an action word? We have to, we have to move in that direction. We actually have to seek And we have to choose God as our master above all else. And we also have to seek first. So first God, and then all these things will be added. And once we can realign our minds to that truth, that he sees, that he knows, that he cares, and that he will provide for us, just like he does for the birds, the flowers, and the grasses, our hearts will follow And then there will be this indescribable peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7 through 9. If you need to feel in that anxiety, memorize that passage. Memorize that passage. Be anxious for nothing, it says. And Christ will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But this takes faith, you guys, doesn't it? Because in the moment, it doesn't always feel like that's what's going to happen. Faith comes from the word pistis, and it means to trust. And it means to be loyal. And I believe it implies a surrender of our hearts. Where are you at with that this morning? I love in the Lord's Prayer that when we read it, it actually tells us these things. Seeking first his kingdom, when it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy are you, God. Recognize who God is. Your kingdom come, with God master versus everything else master, your will be done. Therein lies the key, you guys. Because God is not a genie in the bottle, right? Like we think we know what we want. But I'm here to say, thank you, Lord, that you don't give me what I want. I'm serious. Like, whoa, where would I be in my life today if God gave me what I thought I needed and what I thought I wanted? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Having that heavenly focus. Seeking his righteousness means pursuing righteousness in life. Submitting to God's will. It means being God-centered rather than self-centered. And one of the things that I love about Westgate is we are all about loving God, loving our neighbor, and loving one another. And you guys do that so well. But just know the enemy's out there wanting to distract you and wanting you to forget that kingdom mindset, being more self-focused. I was reading this article in one of the news feeds that um, I come across on Friday of all, all times. And I love how God gives me little things just, just when I need them. It was um, an interview with David Green, who is the, the owner, the CEO of Hobby Lobby. <laughs> I'm not a crafter, but I have actually been to Hobby Lobby. It has a ton of stuff in it. It's like amazing. But anyhow, this is like a $5 billion company. Who would have thought that? We craft enough for $5 billion. It's amazing. Anyhow, he, the, the title of this article said, My decision to give away my ownership of Hobby Lobby. It says, I chose God. And he said, 
In, his, in the mid-1980s, he said, I went through a period where I grew proud of thinking that I had the Midas touch. And then he said, I nearly lost all of my business. Now, he and his wife are amazing Christ followers. And here's what he said. God had to show me that he was the one who granted success. He says, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 8.18, that it is God who gives us the power to make wealth. And he said, from the beginning of their $600 that they started off with years ago to the $5 billion company they are today, that their desire and purpose was to honor God in all that they did. And they worked hard to give those results to God. And he said, as they were blessed, they had great privilege and were able to give back and provide hope through supporting ministries and planning churches all over the world. If you've ever tried to go to Hobby Lobby on a Sunday, it's not open. Kind of like Chick-fil-A, right? Owners of Chick-fil-A, Christ followers too, wanting to honor Sabbath, wanting to honor time with your family for their employees. Um, he says, the bigger mission and purpose helped me to realize that I was just a steward of what God had entrusted me with. God was the true owner of my business. God was the true master, and I was his slave because he's a good master, and I wanted to follow him. As we steward the life God gives us, may we do it, not as owners, but as stewards, knowing that God is a good master. And when we have that mindset, I think faith just becomes more and more um, real in our lives. We step out and trust in greater ways. At the end of the passage in Matthew 6, 34, Jesus goes on to say, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's so true, and yet we worry about tomorrow. What if we just focus on today? I love what Corey Ten Boone said about this verse. She says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its trouble. Tomorrow's gonna be what tomorrow's gonna be, but it empties us today of our strength. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its trouble, but it empties today of its strength. Oh, that my confidence and strength would be in God as my master. One of my dear friends just wrote a book. Some of you may know her too. Her name's Chris Jansen. She and her husband, Scott, used to be at Westgate before they moved away to Colorado. Such a sad day. But she just wrote a book called Living All In. And I love this quote. It came up again on a social media uh, post this week. And I, it just resonated with me and the anxiety I was feeling. She says, you get to choose whether you tell a story that exhausts you or one that energizes you. You get to choose the story, whether one that exhausts you or one that energizes you. I had been telling myself for the last couple of weeks a story that was exhausting me. I didn't have the time, the clock was ticking, I was gonna fail, all these things, right? Like these things that I didn't have, but I had the choice to tell myself a story that would energize me. You know what energizes me, you guys, is to share with you who God is. He's a good master. He wants to come alongside us and hold us. He's with us. He loves us. He cares for us. He knows us. And he wants to provide for us. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they do, I'm going to take another minute 
of just quiet again. And this time, I want you guys to think about that thing that came up when you spent just a few minutes ago thinking about what your worry was. What's that anxiety for you? I want you to pause and I want to have you have an opportunity to give that worry and that anxiety to God, to surrender it to him, to say, God, I choose to trust that you see me, that you know me, that you care for me, and that you will provide for me. I'm no longer going to be one of those people, O oh, ye of little faith. I'm going to have those moments. But how quickly, Lord, can I go back to the truth of who you are? And as I seek your kingdom first and your righteousness, I will trust that all these things will be given to me as well. All those things that you already have for me, they will be given to me as well. So would you just, again, I'm going to ask the lights go down, the band just plays, just hold those things um, that thing that felt anxious with the reality that God sees, God knows, God cares and will provide and let him speak to you in this next just moment. Let him encourage your heart. I just want to know you to know for some of you this may be hard what you have feels really heavy and you almost feel like I can't trust God with this and I would just say it's fair to say I believe God but help my unbelief and then there are others of you this morning that may be here and you don't have a personal relationship with God and I would just encourage you to explore what it might be like um, to have freedom, to have relief from that worry and that anxiety because there is a God who sees, knows, cares, and wants to provide for you. Um, there'll be some of us after the service in the prayer room, we'd love to pray with you or answer questions that you might have. And I know that's a reality today as well. And I wanna close our time together um, with a corporate prayer. It's a prayer that many of us know it's called the Lord's Prayer. And I feel like it just kind of um, solidifies or can in our hearts of giving over, of surrendering today to God as our master rather than other things. So would you pray along with me out loud? 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.